Genesis chapter number 3. I'll give you a few minutes to find the text tonight. Genesis chapter number 3. And I'm going to read one verse of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 for our text. And then throughout the message, throughout the Bible study tonight, I believe there's seven other places in the New Testament we'll turn to. But we'll get started in Genesis chapter number 3, and we'll read one verse of Scripture, and I think everybody's found it, Genesis chapter 3 in verse 24, verse number 24, so he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Here's the end of what man has enjoyed in the Garden of Eden, the paradise that God had created. And now we find, and I'll review some of the details in just a moment, but we find God expelling man from this place. And we know man has never been the same since man has fallen. But tonight, I want to use this verse of Scripture to teach on this subject. Sin is the problem. Christ is the solution. We have a sin problem. But aren't you glad we have a solution? And uh, we're going to teach on that tonight. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we look in these different places of Scripture. Uh, We're certainly thankful for salvation. We're thankful for uh, the Son of God. May Uh, The study be a help to us, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we've already uh, mentioned with our text, uh, man is driven from this place of paradise, this place of perfection. Uh, I remind you that God created man to fellowship with him. That's why man was created. Man was never created to please himself. Man was never created uh, by God to uh, uh, glorify himself. Man was created with a purpose to fellowship with God. So if man does not fellowship with God, he is not fulfilling the purpose for which which man was created. And so uh, God created man to fellowship with him. We know the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent coming and them falling into the temptation and them taking of that which God had forbidden. God did not give an explanation of why he he forbid that certain fruit. God just said... He forbid it. And that's the same thing you and I need to be aware of, that when God forbids something, God don't know what's an explanation. Uh, sometimes we treat God like a five-year-old treats their mom. Well, why do, can I do that? Or why? No, we don't need an explanation from God. God doesn't have to give us an explanation. That has nothing to do with the Bible study, but it's good for us to be reminded of. Uh, and sin separated man from God. God wants to fellowship with man. God created man to fellowship with him. We know the scripture, our minds can go back to the scripture uh, leading up to uh, the fall of man and how uh, even after man fell, God showed up to fellowship where they had always fellowship, but man was hiding. Man fellowship with God in that garden. Think about that. Uh, there was no sin at this time. Man had not sinned. Uh, man fellowship with God, had perfect fellowship. Uh, and because of sin, man was banished from the Garden of Eden. But worse than that, because now that man had sinned, 
they were gonna, man was going to face punishment for his sin. See, we need to be reminded that God is a holy God. God's not a hip God. God's a holy God. I've had so many different conversations with people over the last three, four weeks, and obviously those conversations center around church and center around uh, <laughs> things of God. And, and we, when church gets dis- discussed and where they go and, and their, their thoughts and opinions on it, this little phrase has been used a lot in, in, in exactly like this and then somewhat like this. Well, it, we go where it's a newer style. It's a newer way to worship. There is no newer way. There's the same way. God, the point is this. God is a holy God. He created man to fellowship with him, and everything went according to plan until sin entered into the equation. Then once sin entered into the equation, man was not just expelled from the Garden of Eden. Man could not fellowship with God. Man could not walk with God. That's why there had to be a blood sacrifice for man because there had to be a payment for that sin or man was going to pay that sin and make that payment himself. And so (laughs) that applies to us because we know sin separates man from God. Man had no ways, has no way to get back to God because of sin outside of the perfect Son of God. That sin nature is passed down from Adam. And tonight I want us to put the focus on the fact that Christ is the only solution to reconcile man to God. The blood of those animals were shed for the sin, and of course that was a picture of of Christ that would come. That is what satisfied God. And of course, we know Christ as our sacrifice. Christ as the one who died for the sins of the world. He is the only solution to reconcile man to God. So that is our background this morning, uh, this evening. And uh, we, we know that, but it's just a review and a reminder. I want us to be quickly reminded that Sin is the problem, but we have a solution. Uh, it's frustrating to have a problem and no solution. Sin is not that way. Sin frustrates us enough because of what sin does. But we have a solution, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've got, uh, I believe it's, I cut it off at seven. Uh, seven different um, aspects of Christ, seven different Benefits of salvation, seven, seven, uh, seven different um, uh, descriptions of our salvation, what our salvation does, uh, re- reminding us of the solution that is the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are saved tonight? Let me see your hand. If you're saved, the moment you got saved, it was all taken care of. The moment you put your faith in Christ, it was finished. It was done. And we'll be reminded of that tonight. There's a lot that takes place at the moment of salvation. 
Think back, if you could remember back to when you got saved, that moment, whether it was when you, the moment you bowed your head or it was the moment you stepped down to an aisle or it was the moment uh, that the prayer began to be formed, whatever it is, when that, when that faith and that heart believed God and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, so much took place in that instant. So much was accomplished in that instant. I think we even as saved people, and this would help us being reminded of these things, it'll help us even be motivated to be more of a witness, motivated to be more of a sinner because when we see more, we don't need to be motivated to be more of a sinner. Some of you have all the motivation you need on that. More of a soul winner is what I meant to say. Now I've lost my whole train of thought. When we see what we get, what takes place at salvation, it should remind us of how big of a problem our sin was and what takes place if I can put it like this, that overcomes the problem, overcomes sin to satisfy a holy God. Nobody's going to smooth talk their way into heaven. There's a holy God who will not allow sin to enter into his presence. Will, won't, there's no way. There's not going to be anybody who brings all of their good works. They're not approaching a holy God. It's not going to happen. Because sin, God is the standard of which holiness is held to because he is holiness. Then all the way on the other end of the spectrum, you have sin. We're sinners. It's the problem, but there's a solution, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll go through some of these things, and I think, it, and I know it'll be an encouragement to you. It'll remind us of what we, what Christ did for us. We all have a tendency to take our salvation for granted. There's great security, and it, I can't lose it. Now, some of you, I think, are trying the way you're living, but you can't lose it. You can't lose it. It, it's, it there's, you, you can't, no matter what, and I think sometimes because we can't lose it, because it all rests on Christ, I think we can, as a Christian, take it for granted. We shouldn't take it for granted. I've been making this statement. I'll make it again tonight. I'll probably make it again in the future if I had to guess. I'm thankful that I'm saved because of what I get when I get to glory. I'm thankful that I'm saved that when my life down here is done, I have promises that await me. I have an eternity with a glorified body. I have an eternity with no sorrow, no sickness, no, no pain. I have an eternity with my loved ones. I have an eternity with my Savior himself. I, am, I have that. But I don't want to wait till I die to enjoy my salvation. I don't want to wait till I die to be excited about being saved. And I'm going to point out some things tonight about our Savior. And I've said this in past weeks. Christians, you ought to throw your shoulders back a little bit, not because of anything we've done, but because of who we are. We're the saved. We're the redeemed. Christ died for me. That's something. Christ died for you. Don't come to me, well, I just, <coughs> I'm not worth anything. Well, Christ died for you. Christ died for us all. Let me give you the first one. First John. 
turn to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And I want us to see Christ and the importance of His manifest, manifestation, number one. 1 John 3, verse 5. And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. We find number one is manifestation. Let me read that verse again. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. You say, Pastor, what is the importance of that? <laughs> what does that exactly mean? The word manifest means to be made known. One to reveal himself who had been hidden. The reason why we know Christ is because he has been revealed. He has been manifested. For what purpose? To take away our sins. That's why he has been revealed. You think about this. This makes good preaching, but I want you to think about it. Christ left heaven. Everything, especially you take somebody who's been saved for a long time. and If you live a long time, this world will beat you up. You can have victory, you can still have joy, but you live a long time, life just takes its toll. And you hear this, maybe you've said it, maybe we've all said it, you've at least heard it. Well, I can't wait to leave all this down here for that over there. Meaning, I can't wait to leave the problems, I can't wait to leave the heartaches, I can't wait to leave the difficulties. I can't wait to leave the persecutions. I can't wait to leave all of those things and never have to deal with that again. You ever thought that, said that, heard it? We have something to look forward to in perfection. No sin, no sorrow, but because of the sin problem that man had, Christ was revealed to us for the purpose of saving us. He left everything we look forward to to come down to this earth where there's sorrow, where there's, there was persecutions against him. They crucified him. They cursed him. They rejected him. He was manifested. He came to this earth for one purpose. And that was to pay for the sins of man. He was revealed. He was made known. Think about the first time. Well, I can think back. It's been a long time now. That when I, when I got saved as a child. And I had that aha moment. For some of you, that's when something occurs to you all in an instant, and it starts to make sense. That aha moment where the dots were connected by the Holy Spirit, exactly who Jesus was, and exactly what he did for me. The best as I could understand it with the mind of a child, why he had to do that for me. He was revealed. 
so that man can be saved. Number two, Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. In verse number 12, we are going to be back in 1 John, just so you know, and we will be back in Hebrews, just so you want to mark your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, <coughs> in verse 12. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. We find his perfection. You know... I'm going to say a couple more things about that. But Bible studies like we've been having in this one tonight, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit of God, if you'll make note of these things, you should not doubt your salvation. Because when you doubt your salvation, you're not putting the doubt on you. Because you know you're either saved or you're not. And the Holy Spirit is very, very good at putting the conviction where the conviction needs to be. But going through this, we find, number two, his perfection. No other sinful man could pay the price for sinful man. Besides the fact that I'm a Baptist, I'm not praying to a priest to pray for me. Because he's a sinner just like I am. But we find the perfection of our Savior. Watch, watch the scripture. But this man, after he had offered how many sacrifices? One. He offered one sacrifice. And Hebrews 10, 12 reminds us that when he was done offering the one sacrifice, he went back and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Because he's never coming back to make another sacrifice. It's done. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And I'm going to be, where, I'm going to be at the right hand until the Father says, go get him. But when he comes back, and he is coming back, He's not coming back to die on the cross again. He's not coming back to make another sacrifice. Perfection took care of the sacrifice. I have a perfect Savior. That's why my blood pressure begins to rise whenever I hear anybody curse the name of my Savior. That's why it upsets me when I hear anybody cast doubt. That's why I have very, very, one of the reasons I have very, very little tolerance for the, for the cults of this world, all these false religions of this world. We ought to have love in our heart, and I do, because these people who have been, been confused and their mind, they have been blinded, but, but they, they, they offer a, a false salvation because Jesus finished it all because he is perfect. You know what the Catholic Church is saying when they say that you, gotta, you, you have to add this and you have to be baptized and then you have to uh, uh, pray your prayers and you have to uh, do so many good works and you need to come confess your sins to another sinful man. What they're saying is Jesus isn't enough. He's not enough. But my Bible tells me he's enough because he was perfect. 
Because after one sacrifice, let's go back to the beginning, God created man to fellowship with him. And when man sinned, a holy God cast out man. Because sin cannot be in the presence of God. And the only thing that can reconcile man back to God is a perfect sacrifice. We, we refer to it in Genesis chapter 3 for Adam and Eve. That, 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 that blood had to be shed of that spotless animal. What was that? That was a picture of the perfect Savior that was going to come. The Bible re- re- reminds us that offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And God accepted it because when Jesus was done, he went right up and he sat next to the Father. And there he waits for God to give the word because he has it. What else? There's, he doesn't have to come make another sacrifice. The perfection once is sufficient because of his perfection. If you don't have a perfect Savior, you'd have to do it over and over and over again. That's why be careful, Christian, when you let the devil put doubt in your heart, put doubt in your mind about your salvation because we have a perfect Savior one time and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Number three, let's look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. <laughs> 1 John chapter 2, we'll read, oh, we'll restart with verse 1. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Notice who it is. It's not the Pope. It's not the priest. It's not any religious man. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we find that word, number three, propitiation. The definition of that word, propitiation, or propitiate, is the act of appeasing wrath and the offended person. So when man sinned, a holy God had to pour, it was had to pour out his wrath because sin, we, we forget even as God's people, we forget how much God hates sin. Loves the sinner, hates sin. We tolerate sin, God does not tolerate sin. So the, while God is a loving God, amen right there? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. But make no mistake, there's another side of God, and he's a God of wrath. And he hates sin. And God has an anger towards sin. What is it that kindles the anger of God? It's sin. God hates sin. So propitiation is the act of appeasing wrath and appeasing the offended person. 
So God, who's a just God, who's a holy God, He hates sin. Wrath, the wrath of God, and that's why, Christian, let me just give you a warning. The wrath of God is not anything to take lightly. Well, there's a lot of backslidden Christians and lost people who have a lot of bravado. But the wrath of God is real. The wrath of God is not something to take lightly. But let's make a Bible application, not just a definition. The atoning sacrifice offered to God appeases his wrath. Okay? Brother Stanley, are you a sinner? Yes. Yes. Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? Don't even have to ask this side. (laughs) We're all sinners. Why don't you stand up for me? How old were you when you got saved, Brother Stanley? Ten. But Stanley was 10 years old when he got saved. But Stanley was a sinner just like all of us are sinners. God, before he was saved, loved him no less than he loved him after he got saved. But God hates sin so much, and his wrath has to be appeased. That even though he loves a man, you can put anybody's name in there. He has such a hatred towards sin that man's punishment for their sin, not punishment, punishment they have earned with their sin. God as a just God has no choice but to cast that sinner into hell to pay for that sin. Thank you, you can be seated. But... When at 10 years of age, he recognized in his heart that Jesus paid for those sins. And Jesus shed his blood. That he was a sinner and he deserved hell and he was going to have to pay. Why? Because the wrath of God. Not against him, but against sin. But because we have an unrepentant heart, God's Wrath will be poured out on us. He realized that Jesus had paid that sin debt. And he put his faith in him. Now, after you trust Christ as your Savior, were you still a sinner? Still a sinner. But a saved sinner. But what happened? When he put his faith in, when you and I put our faith in Jesus, in that moment, when it comes to our life and our eternity, the wrath of God was appeased because of the propitiation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that propitiation, meaning that which appeases the wrath of God. Why? Because of his sacrifice. That's why there's nobody else that can do what Jesus can do. Only Christ's sacrifice. 
There's a lot of religious people who are more dedicated to their religion than you are, you and I. They are sincere. But all their sincerity will not appease the wrath of God. All their dedication will not appease the wrath of God. Only Jesus can appease the wrath of God. And, and, and by the way, you don't work your way to heaven, but the more we see about what we get and what, what, what our salvation means to us, you really should not, should not, child of God, need a lot of motivation to do right. Need a lot of motivation to serve God. Number, number three, let's look at 1 Peter chapter number three. Sorry, number four. First Peter chapter number three. We'll look at number four. And we find his substitution. First Peter chapter number three. Before we read it, let me ask you a question. How many of you are a sinner? Okay, I'm waiting for some of you to hold up both hands. Okay? How many of you deserve hell? How many of you, when you die, are going to go to heaven? Wait a minute. You just admitted you were a sinner. You just admitted that you deserved hell because of your sin. So why did you raise your hand when I asked the question, who's going to heaven? We know the answer, but let's see what the Bible says. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Notice those words, the just for the unjust. Now, we, we all admitted that we were a sinner, and because of our sin, we deserve hell. And the reason why we can look forward to heaven is because of the substitution. Jesus deserves our love and Jesus deserves our honor. Jesus deserves our adoration. He's not a curse word. He's not a bide word. He's not somebody you pull out at Easter and Christmas. He deserves all of those things for a lot of reasons, and we're looking at them, but he's the just who died in the place of the unjust. Him knowing no sin was the substitution for sin. What a God! What a Savior. That's why I say, Christian, throw your shoulders back. Not, not in self-pride because you didn't save yourself. But God loves you enough to send his son. And Jesus loves you enough that as he who is just, he has knew no sin. He died 
in your place. Friend, we should need no more motivation to give our life to him. We should need no more motivation to, to always stay on the top side. We should need no more motivation to keep a very short list of sins to confess on a daily basis. We should need no motivation to burst out in song and praise him. We should need no motivation as a Christian. We should cancel all of the pity parties, all of the, 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 the self-loathing. Jesus died for you, never committing a sin, knowing all of your sins. He substituted for you. Sin's a real problem. But Christ is a solution. And he died the just for the unjust. Now, you remember at the introduction when we looked in Genesis 3 and we were reminded of a holy God creating man for fellowship. Man sinned. Therefore, God expelled him from his presence. There had to be the blood sacrifice. There, ha there had to be that reconciliation. That's where Jesus steps in. That, that blood that was shed, that first sacrifice in the Garden of Eden was a picture of the coming Savior. That's, that's why it appeased God. But notice what the Bible says in verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Wonderful. Why? That he might bring us to God. Why do he do it? So that we can be in the presence of God again. So that we can fellowship with God. You know, a lost man can be aware of God, but can't fellowship with God. A lost man can talk about God, but can't fellowship with him. Because you know the only way we fellowship with him is because of salvation. Because of the sacrifice of the just for the unjust. Why did he do that? So that, so that he could bring us to God. Isn't it foolish for somebody to think? How, how deceived and how blinded do you have to be to believe that you can get yourself to God? When the Bible tells us that only Christ could do that. Number five, Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter number nine. Just a few more to go. Did you say good or that's good? Okay. I said just a few more to go, and he's like, good. But I think he meant that's good about the, 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 the outline here. Hebrews chapter number nine. Oh, he was just saying what you're thinking, so. We see number five, we see imputation. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ once was offered to bear the sins of many <coughs> unto him that look for him. Shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation? For Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. The word imputation, impute, means to charge, to attribute, to put to the account of. So when one commits a crime, one has a fault, one um, is to blame. To say we, they impute that to him is to put it on the guilty. That's what the word impute means. To charge, to 
attribute to put to the account of. Imputation, then, is the act of placing the charge on the account of another. Now, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. The moment you've, you sin, just put on your account. Put on your account. Put on your account. But our scripture reminds us, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. We know that he was a sacrifice, the just for the unjust. But here in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, we're reminded that our, our sins were imputed, are charged to, are put to the account of Christ. That's why we say Christ died for our sins. It was because of who Christ was. It was because he was the substitution. It was because uh, he, he was the uh, sacrifice that God would accept. He was the God-man. He knew no sin. He was willing to go and die for you and I. It was when he was willing to die on that cross, our sins were put on his account. You and I should have been nailed to that cross. You and I should have suffered. You and I deserve an eternity of damnation in that horrible place called hell. But when Christ paid that price, we've said, we say that, don't we? Christ paid the price for you. Christ paid the price for me. How was that? That was through imputation. Your account and my account placed on the account of another. We see number six, the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew 26 and verse 28. We find the sixth thing tonight that I'll mention is remission. 26, 28, the book of Matthew, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Christ's blood was shed. Why? For the remission of sins. What does that word remission mean? It means forgiveness. Or another word is pardon. The giving up of the punishment due. I don't have time to, to really go into it in detail tonight, but that blood that was shed... Of course, we know in the Old Testament, the blood had to be shed. Christ's blood was shed. Christ acting as our own high priest, he's the one who took his own blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. It was his blood that was shed, and it was because of his shed blood that we have forgiveness there, there, there's teaching, and, and there's been so many, much false teaching, but there's definitely uh, false teaching of uh, the blood does not matter. The, the, the blood dried up just like a man's blood. The blood, no, that's not what my Bible says. It's the remission, the forgiveness, the pardon, the giving up of the punishment due. That's why... Uh, you ought to be thankful for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because without it, we could not have the pardon. 
We could not have the forgiveness. Then number 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. This is the last one. We find the revelation. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 15. Let's begin reading verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. Paul is reminding in verse 15 about the gospel of, of which they're saved. And then he talks about the revelation of Christ. That he was buried and he rose again the third day, the gospel. Oh, and he was seen of Cephas. Then of the twelve. After that he was seen. There was 500 brethren who saw him at once. Most of them are still together. Some have fallen asleep. I mean, they've died. After that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me. He was risen, and there were witnesses of his resurrection. You think of the stories of some that I've either referenced or preached from the text over the last few Sundays of Christ making the appearance that Paul references here. In Christ revealing himself to them as if to confirm in their own hearts and minds, yes, I was crucified, but I've risen again. And he, has re he revealed it to them, and they became eyewitnesses to a risen Savior. <laughs> Pastor, what's the application? The application is this. He has the solution to man's sin problem. It's not hid today. But he has willingly revealed himself to man. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? He's revealed himself to man through his word. And for someone to say that they do not believe in Christ is to reject the spirit of God is to reject the truth of this word. Remember when a resurrected Christ was revealed to you? I alluded to it just a moment ago when as a child, all those dots, the Spirit of God began to connect them together. And then I had heard of Jesus. And many of you could give testimony of when your children got saved because... All they've been in children, they were they, they grew up in the church nursery. They were in all the, the small Sunday school classes. They were in the children's church. 
<coughs> some even in the Christian school, and they talked about Jesus, they talked about salvation, and, oh, I need to get saved, and I want to get saved. And they say, well, are you a sinner? Nope, never sinned in my life. Not quite ready to get saved. And, and then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God and that understanding begins to piece it together. And they see a resurrected Christ. That's what man needs to see. Man doesn't need to see a crucifix. Yes, Christ died for our sins. But he's a resurrected Savior. He's alive. And what this world needs to see today in this sin problem, we as Christians, we can, we can preach about the sin problem. We, should, we, should, we can complain about the sin problem. We, can, we, we, need, we should stand against the sin problem. But what is the only solution? The only solution is Christ. You ever share the gospel with someone? I'll let that hang there just for a moment. And... See that light bulb? What just happened? I resurrected Christ. It was just revealed to them by the Spirit of God. That's why we should be busy. We should be busy. Preaching the gospel. Sharing the gospel. But let me tell you why a lot of Christians don't do that. I'm not talking about just laziness. Lazy people are lazy people. There's a lot of Christians you haven't stopped long enough to take inventory of what you really have in your salvation. And just how lost we are without Christ. And just what, how much you get in salvation. It's been a long time since maybe, Christian, maybe it's been a long time or if ever you thought of it in the terms of the fact that it's just for the unjust. Or as a sinner, a holy God had no choice but to pour his wrath out on me for my sin. But Christ satisfied the wrath by his sacrifice. Think about that. Well, there's a lost world who if they don't have Christ, they're going to face the wrath of God one day. I believe that every man ought to have the right to accept or reject. But I, I believe there's a lot of people who would probably accept if Somebody would explain. This is what Christ did. How sad for man to never hear a clear presentation of the gospel. How sad. I believe this and I know we are busy when it comes to soul winning. We are busy when it comes to evangelistic ministries. I'm talking generally speaking in our, in our nation, in our world. The reason why these false churches are filling up is because those with the gospel aren't reaching them. 
aren't reaching them. And I'm not going to go all the way back to my emerging church series, but those that rebel against a church like this that brings up, they go to these emerging churches with a false doctrine for a little while. But those who have net, are looking for Christ, they go to them and they never get satisfied and then they keep looking for something else. We've got to be busy giving the gospel because Christ is going to return. I love that scripture I read just a few moments ago. Once made the sacrifice. They returned to the right hand of the Father. It's done. It never needs to be done again. And he's waiting to come back again. But he's not coming back as a, as, as the, as a sacrificial lamb. He's coming back as the righteous king. And you and I should be busy. Busy. I say this, I'm going to keep saying it, and so you're just going to have to get on board with it. I like being saved. I like laying my head on my pillow at night. I like that period, but I like laying my head on my pillow at night and not wondering what's going to happen to me when I die. I like being saved knowing that what Christ has done for me. I'm not a second-class citizen because I'm a Christian. I'm a citizen of another country. Matter of fact, I'm just a passing through. I, 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 I'm a citizen. I'm not a second-class citizen at all. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm still here because I'm an ambassador. And Christian, you're still here because you're an ambassador. This isn't our home. So I, th I think some Christians need to be reminded of what we have in our salvation, what it means to be saved. I like being saved. I like being a Bible believer. I'm not ashamed of that. I don't let this world shame you into believing. Oh, do you believe the Bible? Well, yeah. I had somebody get into it with me not too long ago. Well, it's no different than Aesop's fables. And I said, well, really? I said, how many countries has Aesop's fables been banned from? The public schools ban Aesop's fables? Are you afraid of Aesop's fables? Does Aesop's fables trigger you? So if it's the same, why are you getting all worked up about the Bible? Well, that's where the conversation went from trying to lodge it to just obscenities, but I like being a Bible believer. I like being a Baptist. I like, you know, I'll say independent Baptist. You really shouldn't don't have to qualify that when you say Baptist. I like being a Baptist. Uh, I like being able to access the throne of God. Don't you? Do it then. Let's be thankful for our salvation. Let's rejoice in our salvation. Father, I... <laughs>